Hello, witchlings. My heart is heavy today. Podcasts, as a rule, should be kind of timeless, and I hope that I gain followers all the time and that followers go back and listen to old episodes and enjoy the stories there, and that episodes are not so dated in current events that they lose their value just a year later. However, today's current events are too important to ignore. They are history in the making, heartbreaking, real, and unconscionable. Worse, these events feel timeless and I can't let time erase them. The lynching of innocent black and minority Americans has gone on for hundreds of years. In 2015 alone, police killed more than 100 unarmed black people in this country. Currently, black people in America are approximately three times more likely to die in a police encounter than white people, despite the fact that black people are also much more likely to be unarmed during a police interaction. This is disgusting. It's time for all of us to roll up our sleeves and demand change. It's past time to call a spade a spade and a lynching a lynching. We must take action. Like many other podcasters, I have chosen in today's episode to list a few of the many people of color who have been murdered in this country while innocently going about their everyday business. Please take a moment with me to reflect and commit to action and to change. Commit to voting out racist politicians and sheriffs. Yes, you vote for your sheriff and uh, we need to start voting a lot better. Commit to signing petitions for better police training and commit to holding murderers responsible for their actions. Without further ado. Michelle Cousseau, killed in her home by police who were supposed to be performing a wellness check on the mentally ill woman in 2014. No officers were charged with her murder as the district attorney determined it a justified use of force. Tanisha Anderson, murdered outside her home during a brutal arrest after police had been called by her family to assist in transporting her to a psychiatric hospital. Like me, Tanisha was bipolar but lived a primarily successful life, but it just took one bad episode in front of police officers to kill her. She was dead upon arrival at the hospital. Betty Jones, murdered in the door of her home by police in 2015 when she opened the door to direct police officers to a neighbor's house who was experiencing a domestic disturbance. She was an innocent bystander, a volunteer, helping the police. No officers were charged with her murder. India Kager, murdered along with her partner in 2015 by police. She was in the car at a 7-Eleven tending to her infant son when shot. She had no weapons or illegal materials. No officers were charged with her murder. Sandra Bland died in prison in 2015 under unclear circumstances right after a police officer pulled her over for a routine traffic stop and then he escalated it, ultimately and brutally arresting her. The police officer was charged with perjury for lying about the circumstances leading to her arrest. You see, he claimed that she escalated the situation. Evidence proved it was the officer, 
The charges against the lying officer were later dropped. Mary Truxillo, killed by a deputy who smashed into her car in 2016 while in pursuit of a criminal. She died on the scene. The deputy was taken to the hospital for minor injuries. As far as I was able to discover, no charges were pressed against the officer. Charlene Lyles, pregnant, shot in her home in 2017 in front of her children by police whom she herself had called to report a burglary. The officers who murdered her were put on paid administrative leave pending an investigation. Atiana Jefferson was shot by police through the window of her home after a neighbor called the non-emergency police phone number to request assistance in 2019. The neighbor was furious with the police and horrified that his actions had set off this chain of events that led to murder of an innocent bystander in her home. The officer was placed on temporary administrative leave. Pamela Turner shot five times by an officer when she resisted arrest in 2019. No charges have been pressed. Five times. Dominique Clayton shot in her home in 2020 in the back of the head, execution style by an on-duty police officer with whom she was in a relationship. She was discovered in a pool of her own blood by her eight-year-old son. The police officer was fired, but pled not guilty to homicide charges. Dominique's family members say that the judge laughed before allowing the murderer to set his own bail. Brenona Taylor, murdered in her home by police in 2020. She was unarmed and no drugs or weapons were found in her home. She was shot many times upon police entry to the home without knocking or announcing their presence. One officer was arrested. Charges are pending. So far, I have listed only black women, but all people of color in this country are at risk. Police have killed thousands of unarmed people of color in the last few years. While white people are arrested more often, they are injured or killed by police less often. There is bias in the system and in the numbers, and there is hatred in many hearts. There is no uniform police training or entry screenings across the country or even across many states to ensure that power-hungry white men, ignorant and racist, don't continue to make up much of the police force in some cities. There aren't uniform ethics tests or widespread de-escalation training. Members of the military are taught to use every possible tactic before discharging their weapon and are scrutinized and investigated for every bullet that leaves the chamber. Meanwhile, police officers kill nearly a thousand Americans every year. Very few killings are in self-defense. Very few are properly investigated, if investigated at all. Right now, the union president for the police in Minneapolis is a white supremacist, Bob Kroll, who is stoking the flames in the war between police power and much-needed checks and balances. Is it any wonder that the majoritively white male police force in that city has gotten away with killing black men without consequence for so many years, including George Floyd? 
the officer who killed George had many prior incidents involving racism and violence, yet he was still allowed to carry a gun and enforce what he saw fit to enforce. Listeners, friends, we didn't do this, but we did allow this to happen. We looked away when we should have been holding our mayors, governors, and sheriffs accountable for managing their police officers. But we didn't, and so they didn't. So no, it's really no surprise at all. Today, we need to talk about warriors. We need to be inspired. Araminta Harriet Ross was born sometime in the early 1820s. Her parents nicknamed her Minty. She was strong and sassy. She grew up learning to use her voice to fight for justice and putting herself in danger when it meant saving someone else. Minty was also somebody else's property. You see, Minty was born a slave in Maryland and she hated it. She was whipped often and recounted one instance where she was whipped before breakfast was even served. Minty's father was freed at the age of 45, but he was stuck working pretty much the same job he had had as a slave in order to stay with his wife and the few children who had not been sold to other plantation owners. Once, when Minty was on an errand for her owners, she saw another slave escaping, and the foreman who chased him down demanded Minty help subdue the man. Minty refused. Her will was strong, but the foreman was stronger, and he threw a heavy object at Minty, which hit her in the head, and she suffered regular seizures and migraines for the rest of her life. Minty grew up and began to go by her middle name, Harriet. In 1844, she married a free black man, John Tubman, but Harriet was still a slave. What's worse, any children she had with John would be considered slaves as well, since the mother's status determined the child's freedom. Fun fact, that's how Thomas Jefferson came to own, as physical property, many of his own children. A disturbing but not uncommon practice of the time. Harriet Tubman refused to live as a slave forever. She escaped using the Underground Railroad in 1849, but her husband refused to journey to freedom with her, instead staying in Maryland and remarrying. Two of Harriet's brothers made the journey to freedom with her, but were intimidated and manipulated by a lifetime of abuse into returning to slavery when their owner placed a reward of $300 on Harriet's head. But Harriet was not satisfied with her own freedom alone. Although the risk of being caught, tortured, and killed was enormous, Harriet returned to the South at least 19 times to operate the Underground Railroad and help free an additional 300 people from slavery. Harriet continued to be a force to be reckoned with during the Civil War, going undercover as a spy, working for the Union Army as a cook and nurse, and she became the first American woman to lead a battalion into battle. She led the Combahani River Raid, where she liberated more than 700 slaves in South Carolina. 
What a badass. Despite her incredibly difficult and dangerous life, Harriet Tubman helped free over a thousand slaves. She lived to age 93 and continued to be a voice for liberation and equality throughout her life and is still an inspiration today. Harriet escaped slavery in 1849. That was only 171 years ago. That may seem like a long time, but in historical terms, it's not. Shakespeare is over 450 years old, and we still reference his works. They shape our words, our stories, books, and movies that we enjoy even today. Comparatively, 171 years is nothing. There are still people alive today whose parents were enslaved. It hasn't been a long time. But in that time, we as a society have done a really good job at convincing ourselves that racism and slavery are things of a long forgotten past, when they are very much things of the present. I wonder if Harriet, or perhaps other former slaves, never felt truly free, despite the freedom granted by the Emancipation Proclamation, black people were still stuck. They were not allowed to be educated, given equal treatment, bank loans, voting ballots, or respect. The jobs that were left to them were the same ones they were trying to escape, picking cotton, dangerous factory work, and maid and handyman jobs. There's no shame in a job well done, any job, but there is shame in a society like ours that segregates people and pigeonholes them into certain jobs or societal roles, denying them access and opportunities. In essence, post-Civil War America found ways to control people of color without calling it slavery, and the black population has been fighting for some modicum of respect and equality ever since. And in the almost 200 years we've had to fix things, we have not done a great job. Harriet Tubman, a war hero, a national pinnacle of freedom, was supposed to replace slaveholder and Native American murderer Andrew Jackson on the face of the $20 bill. However, after Trump took office, this replacement was put on hold due to what Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin called counterfeit issues. Hmm. Hello, witches, women, and other lovely listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of Witches and Women. In this podcast, we get to explore the lives of powerful women, both real and mythological. Strong women have historically been labeled as witches or something else equally troubling, taboo, and easy to justify killing or dismissing. I'm telling their stories because most of these tales are amazing and all of them are fascinating. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play and if you do social media, connect with me through Of Witches and Women on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Of course, be sure you also check out the website, which is the most in-depth and exciting resource I can offer you. When you visit ofwitchesandwomen.com, you'll find fantastic merchandise of both the serious and salty variety. Lots of the merchandise is limited edition, so get it while we're still in ancient Greece. 
You'll also find the Grimoire Gallery, which is our internet gallery curated with art by today's working artists and featuring witches, women, and goddesses of ancient Greece. If you see something you like, you can support a small business by visiting the artist's portfolio sites to see, share, or purchase more of their work. Plus, you can even buy some of their prints starting at just $15 in the Of Witches and Women's shop. If you're not a fan of fake news, then you need to check out the Lamia Library, where I list all of my show notes and other resources and recommendations. Of course, subscribe to the newsletter The Oracle on any page of the Of Witches and Women website. Just scroll down and add your email address. The bi-weekly oracle tells the shorter, fascinating, more obscure stories that we won't get to cover on the show. It highlights grimoire gallery artists, shares simple spells and book recommendations, and more. So don't miss out. Subscribe today. My witchlings, women and fantastic listeners, I need to take a quick tangent here to tell you about another podcast that I think will be right up your alley. Rated top 15 short story podcasts for 2020, After Dinner Conversation is a growing series of short stories and audio and video podcast discussions across genres to draw out deeper discussions with friends and family. Each story is an accessible example of an abstract ethical or philosophical idea and is accompanied by suggested discussion questions. I know I've covered some heavy topics here today, and if these deeper topics appeal to you, look up After Dinner Conversation. Find it by searching After Dinner Conversation on your podcast app. Plus, there will be a link in the show notes. One of our first tales was that of Hera and Leto, two women used and abused by Zeus. Hera processed her pain poorly, lashing out at other women and creating even more victims. But Leto, patron titan of motherhood and modesty, handled her pain with more grace. You may recall that while on the run from Hera's wrath, Leto gave birth to twins. First, she labored on the Isle of Delos, giving birth to the goddess of the moon and the hunt, Artemis. Artemis defended her mother from monsters and acted as her midwife while Leto's labor stalled, thanks to Hera's meddling, for nine days. Finally, Leto gave birth to Artemis's twin brother, Apollo. These twins became two of the most powerful Olympians the twin archers, patrons of the sun and moon. Artemis and Apollo were two perfectly balanced sides of a coin, while the golden-haired, hot-headed Apollo took after his philandering father Zeus, the cool, calm moon goddess Artemis followed her mother's more discreet example. As a young goddess, Artemis was enchanting. Zeus doted upon her, granting her every desire of her heart including her eternal maidenhood. Each day, Artemis grew more powerful, clever, and gifted. One of her first godly gifts was that of a fertility goddess. Just as Artemis had assisted her mother Leto in birth, the fates blessed her with the gift of a fertility goddess so she could bless the wombs of other women 
and assist them in safe and healthy childbirth. The women of Mycenae and Greece gave donations of clothing and money at the temples of Artemis when they were pregnant and close to delivery. The donations were used to provide clothing and medical aid for all new mothers in the area. It was probably a great relief to the women of ancient Greece to have a fertility goddess they could pray to who was not under Hera's willful thumb. In some legends, Artemis left her fertility temple in Ephesus the night Alexander the Great was born to assist in his birth. For this reason, Alexander the Great showed great mercy when he conquered Ephesus and reverence to the goddess and her temple. Artemis, known as Diana in Roman lore, was also one of the twin archers, Zeus's greatest and most beloved warriors and children. She and her brother were devoutly worshipped in Troy, and when the Trojan War took place, she stilled the wind and water as the Greek army sailed to Troy, delaying their journey many weeks. How could she do that? The wind in Greek lore is its own master, and Poseidon controls the seas, but Artemis controls the moon, and the moon controls the waves and the tides. And the goddess was friendly with the winds, who did her bidding, not only here, but also when she hunted, they left her arrows untouched, so they always flew straight and true. Agamemnon, a Greek king and general stuck on the ship to Troy, was less than delighted with this development. He was soon convinced that the only way to appease Artemis and get his army to Troy was to sacrifice his virgin daughter, Iphinia, to the goddess of eternal maidenhood. But that's not how Artemis works. When Artemis saw this sacrifice and saw the bravery that Iphinia demonstrated at her impending murder, Artemis replaced the princess on the altar with a deer and made the girl her first immortal companion. After the Trojan War, Artemis and Athena became close allies. They never fought on opposite sides of a dispute again. In Athens, Athena's patron city where democracy was invented and wisdom celebrated, Artemis had a strong presence and many worshippers. In fact, Hesiod wrote in Theogony, she, Artemis, joined in love to the Aegis-bearing ruler. And as we know from Athena's tale on the podcast, Athena was the owner of Aegis, the most powerful and dangerous shield ever. She carried it with her as a penance and reminder that she was a protector and defender of women. So it seems like these two maiden goddesses got along a-okay. I've touched on this topic before, but let's really explore what it means to be a maiden goddess or virgin priestess. In ancient Greece and most of Western civilization anciently, maidenhood or virginity didn't mean celibacy until about the Middle Ages. Medusa and her sister priestesses, as well as the goddesses Athena, Hestia, and Artemis were not Christian nuns. A vow of virginity like the one Artemis made with Zeus's blessing meant that Artemis was off limits. She could not be married off by Zeus as a political move or shackled to a god who didn't respect and love her for her entire immortal existence. She made her own choices. Artemis was a huntress, wild and free, and she had no intention of settling down into an unhappy marriage like her aunt Aphrodite or her mother's enemy slash her stepmom Hera. 
She could see clearly that both were powerful goddesses, but both were caught up in these battles over infidelity that wasted their precious powers and soured their divine gifts and intentions. Artemis valued her freedom and equality. She had a loud and independent voice on the council, and she had the freedom to love anyone, including Agamemnon's daughter, Iphinia. And Artemis refused to give that freedom up. Artemis also had a mortal lover for a short time, Orion. Artemis admired Orion's hunting skill. Orion was such a talented hunter that Artemis even allowed him to hunt mythical and magical beasts with her. On one such adventure, Artemis and Orion were hunting the great scorpion, bigger than a lion and extremely deadly. Orion was stung by the scorpion and died instantly. Artemis killed the scorpion and as a tribute to her lover, scattered his story in the stars so that she might remember him on her nightly ride across the skies. Artemis' moon chariot was pulled by six legendary golden horn stags, the fiercest, fastest, and largest of the deer species. The stag was Artemis's animal familiar, although she was crowned queen of the beasts and divine protector of all animals. Artemis took this role seriously and was a frugal huntress who brought balance to the hills, forests, and isles of ancient Greece. Artemis and Aphrodite never really got along. Perhaps Aphrodite was jealous of Artemis's freedom, or maybe their life choices were just too different and their opinions clashed. But when Artemis was still a young goddess, Aphrodite cursed one of her priestesses, Polyphonte, causing her to have children with a bear, a great insult to the goddess of sexual liberation and the goddess queen of the beasts, including bears, some of her favored creatures for their ferocity and bravery. Polyphonte had twins who were rabid cannibals, and Zeus turned the cannibals into birds who became bad omens across ancient Greece. And Artemis never forgot. In the Aphrodite episode, I mentioned Atalanta, a Greek princess and warrior who was abandoned as an infant. Artemis sent a bear to suckle and raise Atalanta, who became stronger and faster than any man in ancient Greece. As a teenager, Atalanta slew the giant Caldonian boar sent by Artemis to destroy her kingdom because the king had not given Artemis the proper sacrifices and respect that year. Atalanta hung the boar skin in a sacred forest as tribute to the goddess who had saved her life. Some legends claim Artemis ultimately killed Atalanta because her people believed her to be a better hunter than the goddess. But this doesn't add up with the goddess who protected Atalanta from infancy and raised her to be the incredible huntress that she was. I don't think Artemis was the jealous type. Ultimately, Atalanta was forced to marry by her father, but she insisted she would marry no man weaker than herself which meant that she would never have to marry. Her stalker appealed to the goddess of love, Aphrodite, to help him win the race against the athletic princess, thereby winning Atalanta's hand in marriage. Artemis collected huntresses and attendants who sought the same freedom as the goddess. She was the ultimate glamper or glamorous camper, so to speak, traveling constantly around the mortal realm and Olympus, 
with many young women, nymphs, and naiads, as well as luxurious tents, rugs, and blankets made of the finest fur, and more tame dogs, deer, lions, and other protected creatures than you can count. The huntresses under Artemis' protection answered to no man, and were not allowed to be married off by mortal kings. One such attendant was the princess of Arcadia, Callisto, who doubtless fled to Artemis' open arms to escape an undesirable marriage. Callisto was so beautiful that Zeus broke his godly promise to Artemis and appeared to Callisto as Artemis, luring the princess away and then raping her. Enraged by Zeus's perpetual infidelity, Hera turned Callisto and her baby into bears. Legend says Zeus placed the bears in the sky as the constellations Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, but I doubt it. Placing honored and fallen heroes in the sky was the right of the goddess of the moon, Artemis, and she had first claim to Callisto and the baby, who were under her protection when Zeus attacked. In another legend, two children of the gods, who were born and continued to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, vowed that they would steal Hera and Artemis to make them their wives as soon as they were tall enough to reach Olympus. Unfortunately, these two demigods could only be slain by each other. But Artemis was clever. She transformed herself into a deer and leapt between the two brothers, who both tried to kill the deer, spearing each other, and eliminating the threat. So venerated as a protector and empowerer, there was a school or boarding house of sorts in Arctos dedicated to Artemis. Parents sent their young girls there to learn and grow, and the girls were known as little bears in honor of the goddess. Not only did Artemis provide a safe haven in her company for other women, she also taught them valuable skills they couldn't learn in the patriarchal world outside the goddess's protection. Artemis's maidens could fight and hunt and tame animals, and they were safe from disease and the dangers of childbirth. This was on top of the skills women already had at the time, such as weaving, cooking, washing, and more. Artemis's maidens were fully independent, healthy, happy, and immortal, unless they died a hero's death in battle. In addition to offering her protection to her handmaidens, Artemis also took no prisoners when it came to mortal men who coveted them or her. One man attempted to rape one of her maidens, and Artemis transformed him into a young girl so that he would have to learn firsthand how badly he had exploited the helpless. When a minor river god tried to attack a different handmaiden, Artemis transformed her handmaiden into a spring at one of her temples, far from the attacker and safe forever. When one man decided to attack the goddess herself, she crushed him against a mountain, killing him, and when she allowed Atacion, a male hunter, to accompany her troop for a short time, he started spying on the women bathing, and Artemis immediately turned him into a stag and set his own dogs on him. They tore him apart. In some versions of the story of Adonis, Artemis sent a wild boar to kill him because he boasted that he was a better hunter than her. In other versions of the tale, she sent the boar to kill him to spite his immortal lover Aphrodite, because a goddess never forgets. Either way, 
Artemis' superiority as a hunter and deity was proven when the boar quickly dispatched of Adonis. Needless to say, Artemis was a big deal in Sparta, where childbirth was venerated, and temples and statues dedicated to the goddess were common. As the Queen Gorgo stated in the movie 300, only Spartan women give birth to real men, and they did so with the warrior goddess of fertility's blessing. Spartan women lived the most like the Huntress's maidens of any Greek city. They were fighters who were taught from a young age to defend themselves against rape, carried knives, played sports, were educated to the same level as the men in their social class, and owned property, which means that to some extent at least, they managed and controlled their own money. Surely Artemis was proud. Hey witches, if you're looking for a high protein organic snack, my South African man on a mountain used our time in self-isolation to perfect his recipe for the South African equivalent of jerky, which is called biltong. I'm not a jerky fan myself, but as his loyal taste tester, I can tell you this stuff, biltong, is so good and so much healthier than store-bought jerky with no artificial preservatives or liquid smoke or whatever else. This biltong is made with grass-fed beef and my hubby's own special organic spice blend. He recently rolled out a spicy option as well as traditional and wow, I could eat that spicy biltong every day. If you would like to eat like the goddess of the hunt, Check out his Etsy shop today, Blixem Biltong. That's B-L-I-K-S-E-M space B-I-L-T-O-N-G. And enjoy some for yourself. His shop link will be in the show notes. And for you, my wonderful listeners, there's a bonus. You get 10% off your Blixem Biltong purchase when you use the promo code WITCHES at checkout. Harriet Tubman, once an innocent little girl called Minty, was forced to grow up too quickly, bound, constrained, and owned like property. But she didn't let herself become a victim. Instead, she became an advocate and a warrior. Minty did more than any one person could be expected to do, out of a sense of purpose and desire for freedom and equality. Much like the goddess of the hunt, Minty knew the value of freedom and equality. She fought every day of her life to be recognized and respected as a human being. I wish so dearly that she could have been rescued by the Huntress and lived a long, immortal life as a free warrior. But she wasn't. Instead, Harriet Tubman was forced by circumstance to become her own rescuer and advocate. She was born the lowest of the low and fought tooth and nail for equality. My friends and witches, we cannot let her advocacy die with her. It is time for us to recognize the goddess of the hunt inside of each of us and to fight for equality against a system rigged to fail people of color and women. This country was built on the ideals of democracy first born in ancient Greece. It's been 2,500 years since then, two and a half millennia. 
but only the most basic strides have been made towards equality for all human beings. Sure, we don't own other humans anymore, but it's been less than a hundred years since Black and Native American women were allowed to vote across the entire U.S., which is a basic right of citizenship. It's been about 60 years since that right has become actually accessible to most, but it's still not accessible to all. It's been only days since George Floyd was removed from a police car where he was sitting peacefully, forced to the pavement and crushed to death by a police officer while other officers looked on without intervention. It's been only weeks since Brenona Taylor was murdered in her sleep in a dubious home search for evidence against a man who lived 10 miles away and had been arrested earlier that day. How is this still happening? And what are we going to do about it? As you know, I no longer include a spell or charm at the end of each episode as they have become a part of the Oracle newsletter, but I'm going to include one today on this very important full moon. Dear listeners, whether you are listening to this episode in June of 2020 or December of 2050, I ask you to ponder today, to recognize injustice around you to decide what you will do to be the change that we so desperately need. For our charm today, please write down your commitment to equality and then light a candle. If it's safe, burn your written commitment as a show of change and acknowledgement of the atrocities that have been and that are. Blow out your candle and go forward with justice burning in your heart and a commitment to equality in your mind each and every day and in each and every action. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure you and your hunting party are subscribed to Of Witches and Women on Apple, Google, or Spotify podcasts. And I would be honored if you would leave me a divine review on your podcast app of choice so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Connect to me and the pod on social media and look up ofwitchesandwomen.com for even more great content and to subscribe to The Oracle. Now, more than ever, stay fierce, witches, and I'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.